Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it happens to be that you're tuning in to watch this podcast. I hope you're having a great day. This is Doug Plucknett, and you have found the Leadership Connection today. I am honored to have uh, a guy that I worked with back several years ago at uh, BASF in Geismar, Louisiana, George Galvin. George, how are you doing today? Hey, excellent, excellent. Thanks for having me, Doug. Appreciate it. I'm trying to remember how many years ago that was we worked together. I, I was thinking that it was uh, 2008, maybe. Yeah, so more than a decade. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Or it could have even been 2007. I, was, I can't remember. I, I'm thinking it was right after I, I uh, went over to Allied for a bit. And uh, okay. we did a bunch of RCMs there in Geisler, Geisler Louisiana. I want to say uh we started out thinking we'd have 12 weeks and we ended up with eight but uh that's just my memory and who knows uh, now that i'm 60 it, it's not, i, I uh, would say it's pretty good i remember you know you lay it out and and uh you're like wow this is going to take a while and then you, you kind of pick up some efficiencies as you've gone along and uh and i think that was a pretty successful project in the end you know all right so um at any rate, the, the things I do remember about uh, Geismer was uh, um, being somewhat familiar with that process because I'd done something similar, worked as a kind of a similar area at Kodak, but more than anything, the great food of Louisiana. <laughs> a couple of nice places that we'd hit for lunch. And uh, I, I know that I probably told you this story. You know, when I travel, I'll go places and they'll say, hey, we got a nice Italian place here. And being from New York, where there's a lot of really good Italian restaurants, I, I tend to go. Um, yeah, I, don't, I really don't care for Italian, right? Because I know it's not going to be what I'm expecting. <laughs> and uh, and guys, that was one of the first places we went. And I went, oh, this is really good. It was a nice little place. So uh, and that and uh, charbroiled oysters, holy smokes! So at some point, we really should oh, talk yeah. about. <laughs> what's going on but uh if you could george tell the listeners uh, a bit about your career where you went to school the uh companies or jobs you've worked in the roles you've worked in uh so on and so forth yeah sure uh so i'm a chemical engineer graduated from villanova university um and, and and basically joined bsf right out of school so i've been with bsf now 24 years uh, and, and my first assignment was actually in Germany uh, at our flagship site in Ludwigshafen, you know, and, and I re remember just being overwhelmed by the size of that, that facility. And uh, from there, you know, got on with, uh, you know, their, their PDP program where you kind of figure out exactly uh, where you fit in, what you like to do. Um, but I, I'm, I'm at heart, uh, or at least for the, for the first Two thirds of my career, a manufacturing technology guy. Spent a lot of time in uh, in the TDI plants and um, you know in the isocyanate arm of, of of BSF. So on various different leadership roles. Uh, I mean, I started as an engineer and, and, and kind of grew up there, um, and then and ran ran the MDI plant for a few few years as a production manager, and then lately, uh, say over the last six seven years, kind of transitioned a little bit into um, 
more of a strategic role, but something that blends more uh, of, of the business aspects of it and, and putting together projects and economics and, and business development for, for our petrochemical side of, of, the, of the, um, the business. So it's been a wild roller coaster, that's for sure. All right. So, if for our listeners that are not familiar, those folks that this and this is one of the things I found very strange about your company. Almost everybody that works there refers to it as BSF, and that A somehow drops out, right? And I, I told that, that that comes from uh, BASF over in Europe. That that's that's kind of where that started. That the BSF, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, so. It's an efficiency thing, I guess. But uh, yeah, so BASF is, is Badisch, which is a, a region in Germany where it started. Uh, the A is aniline, which was one of the, the key um, raw materials and dye stuffs manufacturer. Uh, we still make it today for, for the isocyanates. And then um, soda, which is caustic soda, and, and fabrique, which stands for factory, you know, so... Uh, but there, there are a lot of a lot of folks that never even run across that within BSF, uh, you know. So it's 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 worth the Google search for the history, you know. So. <laughs> All right, and so what? At what point in your career would you say you were first recognized as a leader? And it might even be before a career. You know, I've had people talk about you know it was middle school and sports, and you know. But at what point in life were you were you recognized first as a leader? What were you doing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's always been there to some extent. Uh, you know, whether whether it was playing hockey or running track, uh, I was captain of those teams, and, and it it kind of felt uh, natural to to you know to to look after the team and look after its interests. Um, but it, in some ways, at first recognized as a leader. I mean, I think I came into like really my first role within BSF was, was putting together, you know, the, uh, the new TDI plant there in Geismar right around yeah, 2000 or so. And, um, you know, where, whereas I'm, I'm the lowest of low on, on, on the engineering scale, but, uh, you know, you were looked to, to train the staff, train the operators and, and, and kind of share your knowledge to, to basically make sure that you had a, uh, um, you know, a successful startup and, you know, you can, you can be a leader at, at really any position that you find yourself. And that's, uh, that, that was clear that, that the expectations were high and, and, and you needed to show up and, and deliver, you know? So I would say really right from the beginning uh, with, with BSF for sure, but I had a lot of practice beforehand and, and ultimately I, I think it made a difference. I think it helped prepare me for some of the more formal leadership roles, you know, as I uh, as I kind of grew in my career. Right. You know, one thing I recall in terms of your leadership skills was, uh, you know, in doing that large RCM event. Um, I, I can't say that I've done a ton of those. I'm one of those, and I think I told you this when we first met. I'm always nervous when somebody wants to do eight, 10, 12 weeks in a row because I know how much work that really builds up in terms of having to implement. 
And uh, so I, I get nervous about that. And and typically when you have something that size and you go in the first week and you get started and you ask that question, okay, so this is powered by, uh, let's say, a, um, a hydraulic pump motor. Uh, you got a valve bank. And I I see that line on, on the uh, PNID. Do you have a, a drawing of that? And in most cases, the, the room just kind of goes silent, and then I go, oh, no. Because <laughs> you know what you're into. It's like, okay, we're into the mystery thing. We're going to have to get up. We're going to have to walk out. We're going to have the tour guide thing and take a bunch of pictures. And you were had all that stuff organized. You know, I don't think there was anything that I ever asked for in that RCM that you didn't have the answer for. And I don't know whether that was you directly or a, one of the engineers that you had uh, – Working in that because between the two yeah. of you, that we go to the laptop and pop it up on the screen. I remember we used two projectors so that we could do that, right? And uh, that was really, you know, that type of leadership there. You know, if I'm always one, I, I hope when that's going on, that a boss walks in the room, right? So that I can <laughs> say, Hey, look at what your guy's done for me, right? So when you look at that, we thought 12 weeks, it was eight weeks. It was really stuff like that. That that type of leadership makes a huge difference, right? Organiz yeah, organizational skills and making people accountable to have it there, right? And I, I think, you know, that, that was a good team effort. We were, we were blessed. I mean, the, the plant was only, you know, six or seven years old at that point, probably, right? Um, but, but having the, the discipline, because it really is that, to prepare your systems ahead of time and, and, and have that uh, knowledge or references available, uh, you know, really pays dividends, you know, on and on down the road, right? So, you know, we pulled that up in 2008. I guarantee you can still go back and grab, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, you know. Yeah. Oh, we need, the, we need the, uh, the drawing for that. Boom, we could probably get it, you know. Um, and, and you see plants where maybe they weren't as disciplined for whatever reason, you know, they, they're under time schedule or, or, or something else and they make a trade-off. That trade-off costs you immediately and then it costs you again and again and again down the line. And a lot of times people don't do that, uh, do that math or, or they're willing to trade the future for the, for the now. And that's risky, you know? All right. So, Looking at your career to this point, um, are there a couple people that you'd like to mention that maybe were mentors in your career? That, and if so, what are some of the things that you learned from them that you still use today? Yeah, I, I was thinking a lot about this, and uh, probably one of my first assignments, uh, kind of walk in, and, and you know, I met this guy uh, Matt Yacovino, and um, he he was a consultant that basically had done all his work within this BSF plant. And, and uh, you know, he, he's a civil engineer. And, and I remember him clearly because, I mean, he's quite the character. He had, he, he had been a, a gunner on a bomber in World War II. You know, so by the time I met him, you know, this, he's 70-something. And he's like, grab your stuff and come out to the field. I'm going to treat you. You know, you're going to learn something today. And, uh, he would curse like a sailor and, and, and he's like, you know, you need to get down. You need to know the guys at the line because they can make or break you. Right. And he's telling me this as we're walking out and we get out there and he just drops, you know, 
drops F-bombs and, and just curses the guys out in, in the ditch. They're building a foundation for him. And then they all laugh and they, they're like, hey, Matt, good to see you, you know, whatever. And he had such a rapport with these, you know, guys tying rebar for him. And, and that just stuck with me from like Jump Street, right? Because if you're going out there, like you're never going to see the equipment the way a mechanic sees the equipment. You're never going to see the way an operator sees the equipment. And rather than make it kind of a almost adversarial position, I always found out, hey, what are you, what are you guys seeing? What, what's going on? What do you think it is? And I mean, I've asked that question a few times in my career and people look at me like I have a second head and, and they're like, well, I've been here five years and then no one's ever asked me. I'm like, well, I'm asking you now, what do you think? And you know, sometimes they're on target. Sometimes they're, you know, they got a, a wild theory that, you know, doesn't pan out. But unless you ask that question, you're never going to get the absolute best, right? Because then they're just giving you, you know, whatever their 12 hour shift or something like that. But, you know, it, it's really when, when you get everybody kind of aligned and say, hey, look, it's not an ops problem. It's not a maintenance problem. It's, you know, this team's problem. We got to fix that pump. How are we going to do it? You know, and, um, you know, I, I think that that really, you know, kind of takes away some of that, that uh, like I said, adversarial positioning between ops and maintenance, because in the end, everybody both wants the equipment to run, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's the key thing. So, but that really, I mean, Matt really stuck with me. I've had countless other mentors too, but uh, you know, here it is now 20 something years later. And I, I still think that he kind of altered my approach, you know, from, from really day one, you know. That's, that's fantastic. And, and when you think about that, it, it becomes a give and take. When you build that relationship, right, then they start coming to you to ask questions to say, why did we do this this way? Why, how come we used uh, this type of pump as opposed to that one, right? And so the learning right. ends up going both ways, right? And I, I do, I, I can tell you that, you know, in my career, there was a couple of those engineers that we used, as tradespeople, we said, there's a guy that's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Right, come out and see what's going on out here. And actually, sometimes some guys even lended a hand. Right, what can I do to help? When it's in the crisis situation where you're going, oh man, right, if we don't get this done, we're gonna have some stuff freeze up on us, and then we're gonna have a real mess. Right, so those yeah, are growing. Yeah, exactly. It's appreciated. Um, anybody else that that you could think of? Yeah, I think um, you know. As I, as I got a little bit further in my career, you know, I got the opportunity. Uh, Ken Bordelon was a, a vice president that, that, you know, really saw something in me and, um, you know, gave me an opportunity to go overseas for three years. So we, we lived in Brussels. And, uh, and I'll never forget, he, he said something to me too. You know, here I was, you know, mid-20s or something. He's like, hey, you know, you have a worldview and, and you're pretty confident in yourself. And you think like, you know, you know, your way is the best way. I'm going to tell you, six months into this, you to turn and say, oh, my way is not always the best way. And I'm like, Ken, you don't know what you're talking about. Have you met me? I'm pretty hard headed, right? So, uh, and, you know, six, seven months later, I'm like, oh, I see what you mean. And, and you know, to be honest, that, that was really, uh, 
really something too because there I am in, in a spot where, hey, they're as a courtesy speaking a language I can understand, you know, and um, you know they basically they could wait you out and just ignore you for the whole time you're there, but you got to figure out a way to get through and and how do you make a difference and how do you influence, and I think that. Um, that really like slowed me down a little bit and, and made me a little bit more intentional, a little bit more deliberate with, you know, either how I ask questions or how I come across or, you know, sometimes you have to use that hard head to kind of push your way in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he was, he was another, yeah, he was a, a you know, to take a risk on me because, it's really his credibility on the line where they're pushing, you know, uh, a kid into, into Europe and, you know, it's a sink or swim kind of thing. Uh, I think that was, that was really cool. And, and uh, I was actually just uh, emailing him this week and I'm like, yeah, that, that Belgium experience is, uh, you know, the high bar. So we measure everything. Was it, was it as good as Belgium or not as good or a little bit better or, you know, so it, it, it was something, something really cool, you know? And then, uh, probably I have to credit uh, another, actually another delegate, Andre Wehrman, who um, he took a shot at me. I had been in an interview and, and looking to do another technical kind of director safety role. And, and uh, he turned to me and said, hey, well, you know, have you ever considered the business? And I'm like, I told him, for sure you don't want me out there trying to sell knives to customers because that is a huge error. You know, and uh, he kind of laughed and, and, and basically he was the one who really opened the door for me to move from a, a technical manufacturing role into a more business role. And, um, you know, I can't thank him enough, too, because you don't know what you don't know. Um, but but he was able to really kind of crystallize, um, hey, you know, great that you're doing all these projects, but why are you doing them? And, you know. Well, in the end, it's how is how does it benefit BSF or our joint venture or that kind of thing? And to be able to build the business case, you know, it it's a little it's less technical. Don't get me wrong, right? But in the end, if you're just trying to solve problems, you're using different different tools to solve similar problems. And uh, you know, at the heart of it, that that's all it is. And, and being able to communicate, being able to listen, being able to interact. And, and maybe ask that, that secondary and, 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 and tertiary question, like, well, why do we do that? Why do we want to do that? What, what's it mean to you, Doug, customer? You know, what does it? And, and um, to be able to have that interaction, I mean, it was great practice to, you know, to learn in the plant and how to interact with folks because interacting with customers is the same. They have needs and wants and you have to uncover them and how do they fit together? I mean, that's what I, that's what I really like, um, you know, as I, I joined the business. So I'd say like, you know, I, I'm sure I'm living, leaving out, you know, half a dozen or more sure. other, uh, mentors, but those are the three key ones off the top that, that kind of course corrected, you know, uh, my career throughout the day, you know. <laughs> Very good. So along the same line, George, um, I know you've read a number of books for your career. Are 
Is there a book or two that you read that made a difference or a course that you may have taken along the way that, that you'd like to speak to for our listeners? Yeah, I think I've taken the, 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 the policy or as it's my system really is to, to kind of always be learning. And, you know, I, I've read a bunch of, uh, you know, this standard influence books, whether it's, you know, how to win friends and influence people or first 90 days or, or what got you here won't get you there. All those are like, let's say, prerequisites to, to kind of feeling out and, and, and getting in there. But uh, maybe a, a more um, unwritten or let's say not, one that, that really key pops out over the last years and I recommend it to everybody uh, is, is um, by Scott Adams. Do you know him? No. Scott Adams, is a, he, he developed Dilbert, so he still does the Dilbert cartoons, right? Um, but his book, one of the key ones, and it's probably now five, six years old or something, how to fail at almost everything and still win big. Yeah. I mean, it, it's probably, if it's 100 pages, it's just 100 pages. And it's written fantastic. And it talks really specifically about, hey, even when you, you try something new and you make an error and you have a, a result that's not good, you're going to learn skills along the way that will help you, you know, in your next opportunity. So, you know, shake it off. Failure is part of the process. Get back to it. And he's got all kinds of good, good little, uh, one whole section on persuasion and influence, which when you get down right to it, you know, whether you're, you're trying to influence the ops team and the maintenance team in the trench, or you're trying to influence your customer over here to say, hey, this is a good deal. People are people, you know, and, and they're motivated by, you know, their needs and wants. And, and I mean, I, I, I hand those copies out on a, on a routine basis. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Um, looking at your career to this point, um, what would you say is your, your greatest success? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think earlier on, I could like point at objects or projects and, and say, you know, like, and that that was a top notch win or, or whatever. And, and maybe as I matured, or I don't know if I'll ever grow up, but, um, you know, as I as I think, my biggest win, I think, thus far, is really now influencing people and cultures and and specifically um you know i grew up i grew up in the tdi plant and i was the production manager of the mdi plant and and i think that was my my, my biggest um win there is basically to kind of change the 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 perception or or the the culture of that that team to basically be focused more on an almost continuous improvement basis. Let's get to the root of the uh, root cause of the particular problem rather than get really good at prepping that pump for maintenance. You know, and um, I want to say that that you know now even that is, is five or six years old, and now as I move you know a little bit further in my career, it's like 
you know, how can I make it easier for the folks, you know, who are just coming into BSF or just learning, you know, can they avoid some of my pitfalls, you know, that I ran across and, and you know, how can I shorten their learning curve? And I, I make it a point of, of, of reaching out and, and, and basically, um, you know, trying to be the, the mentor that, that like, like Andre or Ken or, or Matt were to me, you know? And um, I think those are probably my more long-term successes, you know, is like when you can influence either teams or people to, to you know, do things they probably didn't even think they could do. I think that's probably even like more powerful than, oh yeah, great, you, you solved that pump problem, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really, when you see that light come on and you know that all of a sudden somebody got what you're talking about, right? And the, when it goes that bright, you know they're gonna use it, right? There's a really powerful yeah. thing there. It's, it's really, uh, and that's probably what, what changed my career was, was that because coming up as a tradespeople, I could tell you <laughs> without a doubt, when you're an apprentice, those journeymen love to watch you fail. They <laughs> 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 can't wait to cut up a crooked piece of pipe or something that's not plumb or tell you it's the wrong size or you use the wrong bolts or gasket material. And, uh, it's like, and, and you just go, what? You stood, You came here 20 minutes ago. You saw what I was doing. Then you walked away, and then you left for two hours and let me do this, and now you want me to take it all back apart, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you reach your career. You go, what's the point of that, right? Well, you got to learn the hard way. No, not really, right? <laughs> I can see 20 minutes ago, okay, what you're doing, that's not the right way, and here's the reason why. Can you see that? If you can't see that, I'm going to let you continue on. Right. But if you see what yeah. I'm talking about, right, and you understand that, then then you got it. Right. And and being able to do that as, as a leader and a mentor to, to, you know, help people avoid that that pain. And that's really what it amounts to is uh, and I can tell you that was the other the big difference for me transitioning from a tradesperson to um, being behind a desk is is a tradesperson. You accomplish something every day. And as an engineer, sometimes it takes months, right? <sighs> to not work out right, it, you just go home going, oh, what was I thinking, right? It's, it's, a, it's a great thing. So, yeah, George, I, 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 I think so. Sorry, just one last point on, on that, Doug. Uh, I think you got to, as a leader, you got to know whether that, that, uh, individual who needs to learn the lesson can yeah. learn the lesson by by somebody pointing and say hey that's not a good idea you know because of x y and z some people are are happy to learn that way and other people you just got to let them crash straight into the wall and help pick up the pieces yeah. at the end and knowing and, when you know when it's like okay i'm gonna let them crash but not so bad that it's gonna cost me three million dollars or, or whatever right. right you know you, you yeah. gotta know that Where's sure. the boundary conditions? So. But when you have that one that comes in that says, I know everything, right? <laughs> then, 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 yeah, there's, there's a point in time where you go, okay, you know, so I'm done with it. I'm done with the talk that we were about to have. Carry on, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, anyway, George, 
uh, it's been a pleasure today. I think back fondly on the bit of time we spent together. I'm shocked that that wasn't your greatest accomplishment at RCM. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding, just kidding, of course. But uh, was was always honored, and I and you know I did brag a bit about uh, you, when you do that much and then actually get it implemented. That's a big, big, big deal, right? Uh, it makes a difference. So yeah. I've enjoyed having you today. It's been great catching. I don't up know with if you. you had that. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and uh, you know, we'll we'll kind of go from there. You know, but it, it's been great. I somehow knew that in the, in the world of BSF that, that you'd end up uh, one of the big guys. I think you're not even done yet. Uh, you know, when they come and say, hey, come on back over to Belgium, that, that's a pretty good sign, right? So uh, good talking to you, George. And uh, we are going to sign off. This has been Doug Clucknett with the Leadership Connection. Have a great day. Bye.